Welcome to a special edition of the Gold Standard Podcast here, of course, on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Adam Vingan has the week off, well-deserved after a long season. So we got a really special episode planned for you guys today. Carl Taylor, the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. We did this last year in the summertime where I had a chance to sit down with him for a long period of time and sort of break down and talk through all of the new pieces that were developed in the AHL. A lot of those guys who are now household names for Nashville Predators fans. He he told us that Tanner Janot was going to be a star in that episode last year, and so I thought we would do it again this year. Carl was very gracious with his time. We, we talked a whole lot about getting back into a routine with the AHL, uh, no, no more COVID for them and what that means for development. We talked about Cody Glass specifically for a few minutes and his development and how close he is to becoming a regular on the NHL level. Who is the next Tanner Janot? We talked about Connor Ingram's growth and development, uh, his first opinions of Askarov, of course, the number one goaltending prospect in the world, potentially the emotions of watching his guys flourish on the NHL level, his fingerprints all over this current team, the grind, of course, of some of those players like Rocco Grimaldi that have bounced back and forth. Uh, we went through a lot of different players, Luke Evangelista, Cole Smith. Um, we talked about Jeremy Davies and David Ferentz and, and guys that are going to be contributing potentially on this Predators team coming up in the very new future. And, of course, I asked him if he's getting any NHL interest to be a head hockey coach in the, at the highest level, and he was very open uh, about what is taking place in his career and his career path. So really fun interview. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, tweet it at him. Just tell him uh, that you love him and, and that you miss him this week on the pod. Uh, of course, you can get to him at Adam Vingan. You can also, of course, swing by Jaspers because the gold standard is brought to you by our wonderful friends over on West End, the definitive sports bar in all of Nashville, the next evolution of the sports bar, grab-and-go market, free game room with the best games possible, Papa Shot, skee-ball, darts, shuffleboard, life-size Jenga Connect for air hockey, you name it, they've got it. It's a great place to watch the Stanley Cup coming up here uh, or, you know, whatever, College World Series, y- you name it. It is a great place to go hang out, grab a beer, super awesome neighborhood hang. You guys know the name, Jaspers, go check it out. So uh, that just about does it. We will discuss the Jeremy Luzon contract, uh, four years, $8 million next week on the show. Uh, to me, the only thing I wanted to say about that was – just real quickly here before we get to Carl Taylor, and that is clearly trading for him, and we talked about this last week on the anatomy of a, of a rebuild where the Predators feel like they need to go out and acquire some top-level defense pieces, whether that's yeah, maybe not a first-line blue liner, but a second-line, second-team guy. Clearly, Luzon at that price point at, at $8 million and two AAV, $2 million AAV, is clearly a part of their building to the future and and acquiring depth along the blue line. So uh, a big contract there for, for Jeremy, acquired, of course, from Seattle for a second-round pick. We'll have a little bit more details and conversation around that, but that certainly is a big piece of news that took place as we are still all awaiting Philip Forsberg news as well. So check out the YouTube page, rate, review, subscribe, share the show, go to Jaspers, all the great things that you guys do to support this show. We love you for it. We really appreciate it. You can get to me at Braden Gall, at Adam Vingan, of course, as well, who will be back next week on the pod. Okay, without further ado, without any more conversation and rambling from me, here was my conversation with Milwaukee Admirals head coach, Carl Taylor. Carl, good to see you, man. How are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be here again. 
So I, I just am curious, before we get into some specific players and, and you know the future and all the other stuff that we want to know about, I, I'm curious about what the last three years has been like for you in terms of the development pro- process for players. Like, obviously, great to get back into a normal routine last year. How do you, do you have any sense of how the last three years has affected the development of players sort of on a, since you're in the weeds on all this stuff, do you have any sense of that? Well, yeah, if you, I think if you look at the Nashville uh, roster, you'll see there's been lots of guys that have gone up to Nashville from our team that started with us. But I think if you look around the National Hockey League, you'll also find guys like a, a Rem Pitlick, a Colin Blackwell, Jared Tenorti, uh, Freddie Goudreau. These are all players that have been here and big, big part of the Milwaukee Admirals that have moved on to other organizations and, and are having success. So for us as a staff and what we try to do in Milwaukee, we're uh, um, we're excited about what we've done. And it's been four years if we count that year we didn't have a team, right? So uh, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, I think uh, a lot of the players that developed, obviously the COVID was a factor. Uh, us losing that playoff run with that good team, I think affected a lot of the people to have that opportunity to go deep and learn those playoff lessons. So I think that was a negative situation. And then the season didn't start and we just had that little mini season where we shared with Chicago. So obviously that affected the group, but I think for the guys that were already in pro hockey, I think they were more protected from the COVID issues. I think the kids in junior hockey and some of the college situations, the amount of games they missed, the amount of opportunities they missed out on uh, for learning and developing was a huge factor for some of those players. And we have to remember that here because we got, you look at our first year guys this year, you got, uh, you know, Igor, you got Mishmash, you got, uh, you know, Delgazio, you got these guys that have come from situations where they played less games, unfortunately. So we need to be a little more patient as a staff and maybe as an organization when we're looking at some stuff. That's interesting. So it affects probably like the, the 17 to 20 year old, I'm generalizing here it affects that 17 to 20 year old more than it affects the 22 year old, for example, is what you're saying. I, I, would, I would agree with that because pro hockey continued for the most part. Um, we did miss some time and there was some opportunities lost, but for the most part, it did continue. Uh, so I, I think it was more of the kids in junior where uh, seasons got canceled. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a lot of games played. Some of those kids were able to go to the American league uh, this previous year when we split with Chicago and get a little bit of experience there, a Tomasino comes to mind, um, you know, and uh, those uh, Jarvis for Carolina was another player that was there. Both those kids made the jump to the NHL the next year. Uh, so for those guys to get into the American League when they were um, underage and supposed to be playing in the junior league, maybe it was a positive for those few kids that were able to get that experience. Right. Whereas before they would have been made to stay in uh, junior hockey. Uh, because of the age factor. So maybe accelerated a few kids. Maybe it was a positive, but I think overall it was probably uh, tougher uh, for the majority of kids. Like maybe a small advantage, like a Luke Evangelista, by the way, you getting to have a little bit of time with him, probably ahead of schedule. Is that the kind of thing that you could maybe spin as a positive as well? Yeah, well, Luke played in Chicago. He played a few games. Uh, He got to see it and smell it and taste it. And then uh, went back to junior and had a uh, great season, uh, Obviously, put up a, a huge amount of numbers and uh, played for a good team in London. Uh, but, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while and I will make sure everyone understands this. It's it's a huge jump from junior hockey to the American Hockey League. Yeah. Uh, we have to tailor those, uh, temper those expectations for every every young player coming in. 
And you could see it this year in playoffs, like who comes into playoffs and has impact for us. Well, you look at Yuso uh, Parsonen, he comes in, he plays, he does well. Well, he's been playing pro hockey for two or three years over in the men's league. So it's a little easier transition yeah. for that type of player as opposed to a kid coming from playing junior hockey. So you have to understand where they come from and, and uh, what the approach is and where they are in their development cycle for sure. What sort of, you know, emotions, you, you know, Philip Tomasino finishes seventh on the team this year and scoring at age 20, you know, Ellie, we, you and I talked a lot about Ellie Tolvanen last year. You, you told us all about Tanner Janot, uh, which is why people listen to this show because you told us all about all the walls that he's kicked down every step of his career. And then sure enough, he goes and, almost breaks Forsberg's rookie scoring record and is a Calder Trophy candidate and all this other stuff. Um, what kind of emotions do you have when you watch, you know, Alex Carrier play a full season and Philip Tomasino doing what he's doing? Like, do you, is there communication with these guys? Are you still a part of the development process? Is it just like a father watching their son, like, run away? Like, what, what do you experience? Yeah, initially when they're uh, first called up and they go through the process, we will, we will send uh, congrats, but uh, they have coaches in Nashville, so... We don't want to uh, muddy the waters at all. Um, so we're careful with that as a staff, but there's no question that our staff has sent out messages, wishing them well, saying good luck, hey, good game last night, thought you played well, uh, things along those lines. Uh, but it, you kind of, it's like they graduated and left the house. So uh, they're on their own and they're doing their own thing. And you don't want to ever, like I said, muddy the waters. They have a coaching staff there that's working with them and, and now it's their job as we hand them off to them and we get them to a certain point, we hand them off. And now it's their turn to build up and get those guys to the next level in the National Hockey League. And the NHL's changed where well, we are a full development league, but uh, we, we expect to win here as well, just for the record. And we feel we can balance that. I think we've done a good job of that here over the years. Um, but in the National Hockey League, where it's been only win, now it's more developmental as well. So there's been a more of a balance uh, because we need to have young players at the NHL level to help with salary cap reasons. And there's, there's just there's just more development happening at those levels because of the challenges and the things, the way the league has changed. So uh, I think both leagues have kind of balanced out a little bit when it comes to how that works. But no, yeah, we pass them off. We're not uh, <laughs> chasing them around. And uh, it's a funny thing. It's like uh, you're... you're uh, they're, they're proud of what they've done here, but they, they don't want to get sucked back down to the American Hockey League. So they're like, stay away from me. We're kind of like the Grim Reaper sometimes when they see us. So. Well, I, I do want to get, because there's a lot of guys that just sort of have to live life in that in that space, you know, I mean, whether they're young and they're kind of, I mean, Alex Carey is another example of a guy who had sort of an up and back. And you've got a lot of guys on the team, you know, whether it's Tommy Novak or Matt Luff, like guys that have kind of come up and back. And um, uh, Cody glass is another one. Like the Preds go trade for him. He's a high level draft pick, it, you know, dealt with some injuries in the NHL level, but at the very beginning of the season, people think, okay, maybe he's going to stick on the big roster. He ends up coming down to Milwaukee. What, what are the conversations like when they say, all right, here's a guy, here's, here's a, a, a player with a lot of skill. We need you to develop him. W what does that conversation look like? Try to take people behind the curtain on th those conversations. And then what you guys did specifically to, to develop Cody into, you know, a very successful season at the HL level. Yeah, I think initially everyone needs to understand that it's on the player in the end. We're here to guide and help and probe and find ways to assist that player. Uh, Cody arrived. I picked him up the next morning. We went and had breakfast together and uh, shared some food and got to know him a little bit to try to accelerate that process because we knew it was going to be a stinger for him. There's no question he anticipated being in Nashville full-time this season. 
And uh, that's a hard thing. It's a very difficult process. And let's not forget, Cody's 23. So um, getting sent down in that situation, you know, he's got himself set up in Nashville. He went early to Nashville. You're trying to do all the right things to solidify your spot. Uh, so for him, the process is, okay, you're here now. What do we have to do? And for Cody, that disappointment lingered longer. Everyone who gets sent down, there's a bit of a window where it takes time for them to get their legs underneath them yeah. uh, because, you know, there's disappointment. These are people, okay? They're not just athletes. So there's some disappointment. There's some things that they're dealing with that takes time. And for Cody, it was a bigger hit this year, and it took him a little longer to get his legs underneath him. Uh, we told him we're going to stay with him. We're going to play the heck out of him. Uh, we're going to get him to play himself out of it. And uh, that was kind of our messaging as a coaching staff was that we're with you and let's figure this out and get you in a position where you're feeling so good about your game that you're demanding another opportunity. And um, that was the goal in the process. We also look at tape and try to see where his warts are and where we have, can help him complete his game. Obviously, he's a very good player. You know, he's drafted high, great success in junior. There's a lot of good pieces there. But say he's 85% complete, we're going to work on that 15. We're going to try to make that 85 the best we can. And we're going to try to use him in a way that that 85 gets highlighted. We're going to hide the 15, but in practice, we're going to make that 15 better and try to get it down to like 6 7% of his game is what's hanging. So that's the same with every player. We're trying to complete the player. And there's always good. There's always bad. But with Cody, yeah, he dug in. He was a great soldier all year. He was a big part of our team. Um, and then you look at the end of the year, he's wearing a letter for us at the end of the season. Um, I was really proud of his path and I'm anticipating him really digging in the summer and making a good firm stand for himself in the fall. Yeah. Almost a point per game this year for you guys. What, what is that last 7% for him uh, on the ice? What is it? What does he need? Yeah. I, I just think with Cody, it, it's, uh, his, his attention to detail and his ability to, uh, skate and back check, all the things that you would think from an offensive player. He's got a pretty complete game. I'd like to see him shoot the puck a little more. I'd like to see him be a little more selfish uh, with his scoring opportunities. And I'd like to see him really dig in on his face-offs. I think yeah, he was he's really hot and cold. Like he'll go 12 for 14 one night, and then the next night it won't be so good. So I'd like to see a little more consistency with his face-offs, but uh, I know he's going to work on it. He's a very diligent kid. He comes from a great family who uh, he really wants to uh, be an NHL player, and uh, he's going to do everything he can to make sure that happens, and I would anticipate that occurring. Who is the the? I, don't, I hesitate to ask this question because I know the the real answer is going to be no one's like Tanner Chanot. But who who is the next? Who's the next guy in that line, that mold, the, the, a player that you think that you want to make sure fans know about? This is a guy that's going to kick down a wall and and make a name for himself. Okay, so everything you just said, I agree with. Uh, there is no other Tanner Chanot. He's a special human, as everyone's learned. Um, the crazy thing with Tanner is that he'll be better next year. Like he might not get the same results, but he's going to be in better shape somehow. He is going to be faster. He's going to be stronger. Um, he's going to do everything he can to keep improving because that's just the way that that human is built. And uh, that's what makes him so special. Um, it doesn't mean he's going to get the same amount of goals. It doesn't mean he's going to have the right. same success stat wise. Um, he had a great season this year, uh, but he's, he's going to get better. And that's just who he is. And for us, I think someone that people wouldn't know about is we made a trade for Jimmy Huntington. And uh, it was a tough move because Anthony Richard went the other way. Uh, but this is a young man who's uh, he's still a young player. He's 23. He's only in his third year of pro hockey. 
And through the first round of playoffs, he helped carry our team to get through the first round. And fast player, very diligent, um, same mentality as Tanner as far as his approach and, and going to maximize what he has to offer. He's got a few more holes he's got to fill in, but he's a guy that uh, people won't know about very well that I, uh, I, I wouldn't bet against him either. He's a, an indiv individual who's again, is going to maximize what he has to offer the same as Tanner. And I would not bet against him getting some games at some point. I, I want to ask you about the goaltending situation. I think most predators fans are sort of under the assumption yep. that, that Connor Ingram is going to be the backup goaltender to UC Soros. That's hypothetical, of course, for next season. Yep. Um, he's obviously had an extraordinary journey through the last 18, 24 months on his own outside of like the world, you know, that's affected everybody. Um, can you try to explain like how, what his path has been like as a coach for him? And, and then maybe let's, let's talk a little bit about his skills. You know, like UC Saros has his own set of skills. Pecorino has his own set of skills. What makes Connor Ingram unique? Yeah, I'd say with Connor. So uh, the first time we, we had him, he was uh, a tandem with uh, Troy Grossnick here. And, and uh, we had a very good hockey team, obviously, but our goalies were well protected um, and they won the best goals against in the whole league in the American hockey league as a tandem. So, um, we had a good team, but they also had a great season together. Um, we alternate them every game that season. So there is not one decision or coach decision on who to play. Uh, <laughs> it was just uh, whose turn is it? Okay, you're, I guess you're going. So um, kind of a neat place to be as a coach. Um, you know, if we would have had playoffs that year, we did have lots of discussions. Hey, are we going to keep doing this or are you going to pick a guy? <laughs> like that was uh, that was a lot of discussion in the coaches' room, and uh, we ended up not having to make that decision. So, uh, so that's that's Connor's path, and then he went through some stuff last season and uh, did what he had to do, and then this season he came in and uh, once he arrived with us, he was up and down early and got some games with Nashville. Um, and then, like, look at the stats; he uh, led the league in minutes, saves, just crazy stats, shutouts. Um, played very well for us throughout the season. And I would say Connor, if I'm describing him, like he's, he's a calm player. He's got ice in his veins. Things don't bother him very much. He's an individual who is uh, when he, when he's playing well, he's square, he's confident, he's quiet in the net. Um, he's smooth. He's predictable. I think that's what Connor is, is as opposed to, uh, you know, the, um, um, the crazy athletic holy moly goalie who's uh, diving all over the place. So uh, I would say that's Connor's strength and, and uh, that's how he kind of operates. And you could see it in playoffs. We had, uh, you know, cool's got to run and run early and then Connor got reassigned. And then uh, in game five, um, we started great. We had a great game. We came out, took it to Winnipeg, did a very good job. And then obviously they don't want to go away. So they pushed hard in the third and outshot us significantly. And, and Connor was able to hold the fort and do a good job and win that series for us in game five. So not a Dominic Hasek style goaltender. No, no, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, it's the first time, the first time I ever watched UC Saros practice, I think he was probably, this is like 2016 maybe. And I just thought like, there's no, there's not a movement that he wait Like he doesn't waste a single movement. He goes from point A to point B as quickly as possible and he gets there and he's there and it's what makes him so good. And, and Connor Ingram, obviously a very different body type and a different style yeah. and, and all that stuff, but it does feel like he's got some, am I crazy to think that there are some similarities in sort of how compact his, his approach is, or is that just, I'm just, yeah, they're, they're, they're both positional goalies. And again, I'm not a goalie expert, 
but over years you get to know and see and you've worked with so many different goaltenders um, but there is some some consistency there on how they uh, the concepts and how they try to play they might not, might not get to the same spots together right. or at, in the same manner but they're both trying to do the same thing they're trying to hit their spots not be moving be square all those things and challenge shooters so i would say there are some consistent concepts there for sure how excited and, and what is the onboarding process like for you guys as a coaching staff with a with a player and a prospect like Askarov coming over from the KHL? Yeah, so I didn't know much about him other than watching uh, World Juniors when uh, he was playing. Uh, we watch a little bit of tape online when we the end of the year we we I think we had thirty four players here at the end of the season going through playoffs, uh, and we're trying to like they're not coming here to hang out; they want to play. So it doesn't mean they're going to knock our guys out of the lineup, but as a staff, we'll go and watch some of their shifts and try to get an understanding of their game if we're not familiar with them. Um, so when uh, when Askarov arrives, he, he, he gets on the ice and you're like, oh boy, this guy looks like a goalie. So anyways, he moves, he looks well, he's 19 years old. So everyone's just got to take a deep breath. Uh, goaltending is by far the hardest position in the sport. Uh, you know, it's the only position where you get a sunburn if you make a mistake. So you, you, it's, it's, it's tough to hide it. Uh, you can't blend into the mix. Uh, this is a young goalie who looks like he's got a lot of abilities and a long career ahead of him, but he's going to need time and it's going to be challenging. He's going to be going against shooters that are elite. He's going to have a different schedule than he's used to. He's going to be in a different country. Um, but I, I will tell you this, his personality He's uh, very gregarious. He's outgoing. He's, uh, you know, he's giving it to his teammates during practice. A lot of give and take. A lot of really good things and a lot of good pieces. And it seems like he's going to be a, a great selection. And we just got to give him some time to marinate and do what he's got to do and get some, get some games under his belt. And let's not be rushing him. Let's just let him, let him develop and get some, get some gameplay. So th this question is not meant to um, increase the hype around him at all. That's not my, my point. But we've seen a lot yep. of young goaltenders kind of come into the league. You know, Jordan Biddington comes to mind just right off the top of my head. Guys that come in as young players, it's been this way kind of, it feels like, forever in the NHL. Every now and then you get one guy that comes in and he sort of just gets hot as either a rookie or a second-year call-up or whatever. Do you have any sense of, like, what the through line is for those guys that have found success? Like, is there a trait or a characteristic that you think that, like, runs through all the guys that have been able to do that? And again, I'm not suggesting that's what he's going to do or should do. I just am I'm just curious. Yeah, well, I would I would say this when you, I'll use your example of Binghamton, but he he went through four or five American League teams, and so let's not uh, forget his path was very long as well. Um, and then out of desperation, he got called up to the eventual Stanley Cup winners. Um, they weren't in a great spot when he went there, obviously, but. Um, Half the battle for these goaltenders is what is the team in front of them? How do they play? How do they protect the goaltender? What do they leave? Um, all those things are critical things for any goaltender to have success. Forget about young, old, whatever the, the occasion is. Um, so I, I would say, in my experience, the goalies that have been pushed or rushed, um, that's a difficult path. If you go back and look at some of those situations where – you have some of these young goalies. Doesn't mean they won't figure it out. It doesn't mean that they won't get there. Um, but it's a it's a difficult path, and you just have to let them 
over-ripen, let them get lots of games in the American League. Now, we're not trying to keep them for our reasons, just for the record. Uh, we're excited to work with him, uh, but we want him to get prepared to, you know, move on and eventually, hopefully, be a number one goaltender in the National Hockey League. That's the goal. When you draft someone that high, that everyone's hoping for that. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's not an exact right. science, but we want to we want to make sure we we set them up for success. And our our goalie coach here, Dave Rook, is second to none. He's outstanding. Um, he's already built a great relationship with him, um, and that's that's part of those kids coming in and the playoff run is for us to get a head start for them to see us, see how we operate, what happens, what's the rink like, where am I going to live, get a feel for all those things. So now when he comes back in the fall. He's not coming into a new situation. So we're starting to prop him up to set him up for success earlier because he's going to be more comfortable, hopefully. So there's no real trait with these goalies. Like they're all elite athletes. They're all got goalie coaches. They got their own goalie coaches. They got the team's goalie coaches. They've all got nutritionists and mental training and, you know, all these crazy things. I think in the end is they have to learn to trust themselves and how they play because there's lots of different ways to be a goalie. But you have to be, you know, so solid and, and convicted yeah. on what your path is, what your skill set is, you know, like you have to just commit to it. And that's that's who you are. And that's how you're going to get success. And uh, unfortunately, the team in front of them plays a big part of it. So uh, we're aware of that. And we want to make sure we support all our goaltenders. Are you suggesting that being in last place in January, firing your coach and using a rookie goaltender is not the recipe that every team in the NHL should be trying to replicate over the course. I would say of the- that's probably probably not good, <laughs> not a very good plan. That's for sure. It's just still it's still an extraordinary story. There's no question about it. Um, how, how much how much of your job is like big brother team psychologist? You know, a guy like Rocco Grimaldi plays 150 plus games in the NHL. You got a lot of guys that I think fans are kind of excited to see. They've seen glimpses of Novak and Luff and Cole Smith had a great year for you guys as well. How, how much of your job is psychologist versus X's and O's hockey development? Well, I think it's all part of it. Like it's uh, depending on each individual and where they are, you know, Rocco gets uh, put through waivers and he arrives here. He's disappointed. Um, And I will say this, you know, I'm really proud that our exit meeting, Rocco said, this is the, the closest he's felt to a team and how he felt with the group and how invested he was. And you know what, that's a real credit to him. And, you know, he came off an injury. He was out for two months. It would have been really easy for Rocco to just go away quietly. And he already had great stats in the American League. He didn't have much to prove, but, uh, you know, he felt invested by the group and the friendships he created here that he wanted to come back and try to play. So, you know, publicly, I, I, I just want to thank him because that was a huge deal for our group. Uh, but the coaches are always analyzing everything. And so each individual player has their own needs and what their wants are. And then we have the, our number one thing as the head coach is you're managing the group. What does the group need? Because sometimes I might want to, the group might need me to, to correct someone in front of the group because they're all waiting for me to do it, even if I'm not sure it's the right thing. So you got to manage, like, what is the best thing? Is it an individual meeting? Do I need a group correction the odd time? There's different ways of managing things and different messages that you send. But we, we, we meet with players all the time, my whole staff, so Greg and Scott as well. We are always walking with them. They know they can come and ask the difficult questions. We want those questions. I don't want them guessing what I'm thinking most of the time. Sometimes, you know, during a game, you're going to give them a shot to try to elicit a response, but that's coaching. 
And, you know, you sit a guy for a couple of shifts, you're trying to give him a message. You know, sometimes words go numb and, uh, you know, actions are a little stronger sometimes. So all those things are part of what you're trying to build up. But in the end, we're trying to make every single player, I don't care who they are, maximize what they have to offer. We want them all knocking on their next opportunity. So you take a Cole Snyder, he scores 30 goals, he gets 30 assists. This is a career American League guy now. He knows that. He's our captain. But we want to get him an extended deal. So if he was going to be forced into retirement, how do we get this guy another four years of hockey? So that's our goal as coaches. It's not just the Cody Glasses or the Askarovs. We're trying to right. give everyone equal attention to have them accelerate and get what they want out of their career and to lengthen it. And, if you know, as a coaching staff, if we can help everyone that way. And it's really hard. There's always one or two guys that are probably leaving at the end of the year feeling like they missed some opportunity. And sometimes that's on them. Sometimes that's on the coaches. And sometimes we both wear it. So um, our goal is to get everyone to overachieve. And um, it's difficult. But, you know, there is a lot of psychology. We are not psychologists, that's for sure. We have lots of people that we use if we have to. Uh, but we do do a lot of time of working and getting to know people so that they understand that we do have their best interests even on the days when they might not like what we're saying. So you mentioned a couple of things you want Cody Glass to work on. Let's go real quickly here, if you don't mind, a couple of players. Sure. And you just sort of say, I'm not looking for lengthy answers here. Just give me like word yeah. association, a couple sure. of sentences on what these guys sort of need to do to continue to elevate their game to the next level. So we'll start with Igor Afanasia. Uh Extra step quicker and hit the net more. How about uh, Michael McCarron, who's played a lot in the NHL? Yeah, he's got to keep doing what he's doing. He's uh, solidifying his spot, big, heavy. He's got to keep on his quickness because he is a big man, and he's got to keep taking down the challengers when they arrive. David Ferentz. Ferry's just got to worry about defending a little more, worrying about his defensive side, and just understanding what it takes to be a pro. And I think that should be his focus going into year two. Jeremy Davies. Uh, you know, real complete player, real competitive. I like him a lot. He's uh, group six, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with him, but um, I like him a lot. I think he's just going to continue and try to find that consistency. Uh, he had it for a good six weeks. He might have been the best defenseman in the American Hockey League, but there were some parts where he's a little loose. Tommy Novak. Uh, add pace and play with pace because he can. Uh, elite skill, unreal vision, uh, really good player. Just uh, increase the urgency and a little more pace. Anybody else you want me to make sure we mention here? I, I've got other no, names here, but I think you, I think no, that's you, all of them. That's your job, not mine. <laughs> Touche, Coach. Uh, so then I'll end with with my job here, and that is, have you had any opportunities to have conversations with NHL teams about a head coaching job? Yeah, no, but uh, I do talk to a lot of teams and uh, different uh, opportunities. My, my goal is to coach in the National Hockey League, just like almost everyone in the American League. We're all trying to get to that next level coaches, trainers, and uh, you can see Doug Agnew was a guy that was in uh, Milwaukee for 32 years, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> and now he got promoted to Nashville. So he still had the dream to uh, finish his career in the National Hockey League. So we're all pushing for those opportunities. Um, it seems crazy in the NHL right now with the coaching carousel and all the different things occurring. Um, I, am, uh, I am speaking and reaching out and uh, doing all those things that you do at this time of the year. Uh, but, you know, we're still under contract as well. But we're we're uh, always looking for that next opportunity. But the good news is I have a good job and, and things are going very well in Milwaukee. 
Yeah, you wouldn't be doing your job if you if you weren't. Um, Coach, I'll let you go on this one. Just sort of give everybody a sense of what your next couple of months are like. Like, you actually get a vacation, you get some time, you know, with the family. Like, like what, is, what does the summer look like for an AHL head coach? So we've debriefed and we've gone through it. We've had meetings with uh, Nashville. We've gone through all the players, uh, dissected it, and uh, we've already looked at the uh, last series when we lost, when we try to break it down, decide, okay, what, what will we change? What will we do? Those types of things. So now it's basically, uh, yeah, you're, you're on holidays. So uh, we have development camp. The draft will be coming up shortly. Uh, and then development camp happens right after that. Uh, so that's a week long in Nashville. So that kind of splits up our summer a little bit. Uh, but as far as day-to-day -day operations, the guys are on their own. Um, I will go through video and build system videos for next year uh, just to prepare and get things prepared for the way we want to run it in the fall. And it's always good that your video is including players that are currently on your roster. Uh, I have some great system videos, but they're from like three years ago. So <laughs> you want to find new clips and it's showing the players you have and the players, the new yeah. players coming in, they know them better. If I'm showing clips of Ren Pitlick and Colin Blackwell and uh, Daniel Carr, the guys, uh, the players aren't as attached to it. So it seems a little bit distant. So it's extra work, but we'll go through all these projects. I'll give the coaches a few projects, a couple of things to do, but uh, it's basically uh, enjoy your family. The season is very chaotic and very, very busy on a number of fronts. Uh, it's basically maximize this time because the next season is coming already. Well, Carl, thank you so much, man. You guys have accomplished a lot. And I think Predators fans, when they watch their team at Bridgestone Arena, they see your fingerprints all over the roster. So uh, obviously keep on, keep on the good work. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you.